Welcome back to Designing Momentum, a Capgemini podcast. I'm Frank Wammers. Teamwork and inclusivity can be a hard thing to get your head around. Whether it be a new team or an old one, you can never quite predict how things will play out. As humans, there are thousands of different invisible factors we have to take into account to make sure we create a level playing field for everyone. Whether it's unconscious bias or systemic imprints, building an inclusive structure will always take more attention than you may expect on the surface. That playing field has to ensure that everyone has the same opportunities, no matter how long they've been on the team. Everyone deserves to have their voice heard and their ideas recognized. Because at the end of the day, you never know where the best ideas are going to come from. Or more importantly, how a different approach can upend everything you thought you knew. So back in um, 2017 is when the club Harlequins started to um, come into the new league. They joined up with a team called Ellsford, which was kind of a local rugby club that had been promoted but wasn't going to be able to stay in that league because of financial and opportunities and, you know, they wanted to be competitive. This is Rachel Burford, international women's rugby player for England. So they kind of aligned with Harlequins and then Harlequins were stepping in to kind of take over that place within the league. So we had an, a mixture of players that were international standard from multiple countries. And then we had players who, you know, I want to say like amateur grassroots rugby players, like the players I grew up playing with when I was 16, 17, you know, it's all about the social aspect. Yeah, we want to work hard, but not that hard. We want to have more of a fun time um, and a good time than you know, slogging ourselves every day training. So two very different um, groups of people and maybe cultural differences within rugby because you had one group who come from this kind of professional era, part of elite sport, either they played professionally for England Sevens or internationally 15s, they've been part of World Cups. And then you've kind of got this amateur, social, fun group of people that... You know, always is exciting to be a part of Harlequins. And so that was kind of like a real mixture of all of us kind of having to come together to play as one. First game that we ever played, I didn't play in this game, but the first game they ever played was against Bristol. And it was at home. Obviously, the first time running out in the Harlequin shirt, everyone's really proud. There's been lots of hype about it, but there's also been a lot of dislike about it as well for the sheer fact that kind of Harlequins are coming in to to take this spot when other teams are like, well, why can't we do that? And so there was quite a lot of like internal chatter around not really liking us as a team and and not, not individually, not personally, but, you know, just kind of the whole way of how it all went. So we, we weren't very liked. And I remember that Bristol gave us an absolute hiding. And I think everybody kind of looked at each other and was like, oh no. And I think the coaches as well was kind of like, what the hell has happened here? I think, you know, I'm, I'm totally guessing here, but probably the bosses at Harlequins were thinking, well, this weren't a smart move. <laughs> um, so that kind of was the first thing that happened in the season and everyone's kind of questioning things and unsure. And during the year, it kind of had ups and downs. We had uh, positive games where we won games. We had some games where we lost. Um, and it was kind of a bit of an up and down because we were just so new, we were, were still learning about each other, getting to know one another. We stayed kind of in this zone of be, people not liking us, really, and being the complete underdogs all the time. And just felt like we were always up against it. 
Ensuring there are balanced opportunities isn't just something we need to think about on field. It's also something we need to make sure we're tackling every day in the workplace. Last episode, we spoke to Gemma Godfrey. On top of all the other hurdles she had to cross in starting a company from scratch, being a woman presented its own issues in getting things going. I think the big trick to breaking down barriers and um, being able to get a seat at the table and your voice heard is really to focus on performance and output. I was always personally very frustrated um, at the environments I used to face on a regular basis that where you were judged on things that I believe weren't as important. So the way you dressed, um, you know, if you, if you, you know, networked in the right way, if you, um, you know, were friendly with the people that had power, if you, you know, it, it was, it was very much if you fit a mold. And, um, you know, I was usually one of the youngest people in the room. I was usually the wrong gender. I was usually, you know, I, I always stuck out. And I remember that most of my career, I felt like an outsider. You know, you, ha- you hear about imposter syndrome, but I also was just very obviously, you know, always the odd one out. And what I found quite refreshing, and I do think things are changing, and I do think even the corporate world is changing, is especially when you take that jump into embracing, let's say, you know, the tech industry, it's much more focused on, you know, are you good at what you do? Can you develop things really quickly? Can you make a difference? Can you, um, you know, and it's, it's very much performance, you know, judged on performance. So when I, for example, started my company, it was always about, doesn't matter what hours you work, doesn't matter where you work, but this is what we need to achieve. And if we achieve this, we're all going to be better for it. And people were much more motivated. You know, we've got productivity was much higher. And I think it's down to that. And I did, obviously, there were lots of obstacles. I had to raise, I did multiple um, rounds of funding. So I had to raise money for my company. And I had to sit quite often, you know, opposite men who would sometimes speak to the men that are sitting next to me, not me, you know, even though I was the CEO. And, you know, and I also did it when I was pregnant, you know, and there were interesting questions, you know, that people don't ask, but you can know there's an elephant in the room there. Um, and actually, when I sold my business, I was even asked, I remember in one of the meetings, I won't say with who, but they asked me about childcare. And I was just, you know, so it, it does still happen. But I think, I think it's also a two-way dialogue because quite early on also I realized that environments that were going to judge me on that weren't the right environments because I actually didn't think they were going to succeed because they were fo- they the company was focusing on the wrong thing and just like you know when I was selling the business or things like that or deciding who I wanted to work with you know if people were focusing on the wrong things about me it wasn't going to work so you know it is I guess it's it's a two-way process but really um I've just always I, I mean my attitude has always been you know oh you don't think I'm you don't think I'm up for it okay right I'm going to prove you wrong and it just you know it kind of was motivation to, to really go out there and achieve and make a difference and work with and surround myself with people that, you know, believed in me and that I believed in uh, and try and try and, you know, try and get things done. Bye bye naysayers. <laughs> Adversity can take all different shapes and forms. It doesn't matter who you are. But managing that adversity is the secret to maintaining momentum in anything you do. I remember this image, and for me, this is one of the most powerful lessons in how to deal with adversity. And um, it's an image of a bird on a branch. And it basically says that the bird, it's not that the bird isn't afraid because it doesn't think the branch isn't going to crack. The bird isn't afraid because it knows if the branch cracks, it can fly away. And I have always, I've been a perfectionist. I've always thought my life was going to be perfect. And if you work really hard, good things happen. And if, you, if you're a bad person, bad things happen. And that clearly doesn't happen. And but what you can control is, I guess, your ability to be able to react to it. And I think one of the worst things to do in, in, in a time of adversity, 
and you know I've gone through a few different things you know uh, you know so you know it's very very tough you know going through the sale of my business and it was also um you know going through a divorce you know so personally and professionally there have been a few things that you know I've had to work through and I think the feeling that you're alone and that it's you know you're, you're that it is outside of your control can be overwhelming but actually focusing on the fact that you will survive and what's the saying you've survived all your worst days up until now and it will be fine and if you don't have the answer somebody will have the answer and you've got people that you can rely on uh, you know you've got experts you can call on and people that you can call on for advice and, and it was that you know knowing that I wasn't alone and being able to speak to the right people and planning and making at least that first step out of it I thought was so so important uh, and being vulnerable you know telling people there's also a lot of shame I think uh, around you know around the perception of failure and around the perception of you know when things go wrong you know we're in the social media age everyone wants to be, give off this image that everything's perfect and I and I find it very very hard to open up when, when times are tough but when you do um, I think that's when also other people can learn from you as well but also when it, 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 people will help you people will come you know if you are you know, an upstanding, you know, you act with integrity, you always do what, you know, you believe in, um, you know, people will, people will help you. And I think, um, you know, us all being able to band together and help each other through these really tough times makes us all stronger for it. Creating opportunity is core to promoting inclusion. It doesn't matter what scale your project is, finding ways to support diversity needs to be prevalent no matter what the level. I spoke to Grace Fella, a young entrepreneur to talk about her company, Miss Kick and how through a clothing brand she supports women's football in England. The reason I set Miss Kick up was because football was always like my passion when I was younger and I just loved doing it. But I always felt like women's football was underrepresented and it just seemed so much harder as a girl to get opportunities and even just simple things like getting kit that fitted yet or getting to play on a decent pitch, it just seemed so much harder. So originally, like the the idea came about because I wanted to do something really to make a difference. Um, and there were sort of two things that I really wanted to look at. One was the sort of perceptions that people had about women's football, but also the actual the finance side, the money coming in was also limited. So the idea came that sort of brought it both together because we had the clothing, which obviously is all about inspiring empowering more girls challenging these stereotypes, but also as a way to raise money. So it was a bit of both, to be honest. Um. I don't really have like a, a business background whatsoever. So I think it was just my passion for football, really. Starting something from scratch isn't easy, especially when you're not just trying to run a business. You're also trying to widen the net of opportunity for people in your community. Before you can support others, you need to find the confidence that you can build something yourself. And I actually set the business up whilst I was studying um, at university in psychology and I was on placements. Um, working in that for a homeless charity and it, it was all a bit of a mad one because that being in that environment and seeing young people my age who you know didn't have a roof over the head didn't have anything really to aspire to be because of what's gone on it made me sort of change the way I see myself and sort of my capabilities so I think because I was in that environment it made me just inspired me to do something new so yeah I remember having the idea and and obviously like I said I didn't have a background in business so there wasn't really no one in, who I could really ask to help me but luckily my auntie worked with a lady in my old primary school and her husband used to be the the, the owner of Bench the fashion brand and he's, he's local he's like five minutes from my house and I just reached out to him and was like listen I've got this idea will you help me and he really was the one who helped like mentored me and, and got me finding out about how to make a logo how to source t-shirts and um, all that sort of stuff that I didn't really know 
So he really, really helped me. And then my dad organizes a big football tournament every year just for girls where I'm from, literally on the backfields, <laughs> right out my window. And um, I just thought like that would be a perfect opportunity to see if this is even a good idea. So I made some t-shirts and we went and we, we had this little tiny stall. We no one had ever heard of us and we'd sold 170 t-shirts at this one event. So I was like, wow, this could actually really be something that I want to do and could actually be a really good idea. And that's just where it all came from and I've just sort of rolled with it ever since. While things were moving quickly and Miss Kick was beginning to find its feet, Grace was still up against the very thing she started Miss Kick to combat, the inherent association with how football works in the UK. Grace was up against an unwritten way of doing things. She didn't just have to fund her initiatives, she also had to educate and inform her community on a different way of doing things. Something that isn't always highlighted is that diversity doesn't just promote a range in opinion, it can also inspire a completely different atmosphere. I think it's difficult to make comparisons to men's football just because it's such a huge part of like English culture, like it's so well established. So I think it's difficult to sort of make the comparison like to expect women's football to be like that i think we have to see women's football as its own sport with its own sort of marketing its own fan base so i wouldn't say it has to be exactly the same i think we have to sort of treat it as, as something new and something different but you know it is it is difficult because it just the men's football gets so much like media attention there's so much money involved so i think when we look at it together it's it's hard to make to sort of see that the biggest difference is i think going to watch women's football is more of a family thing there's no way in a million years if you went to watch a men's game that you could ever have the opportunity to go and speak to the players after the game interact with them but what's so special about women's football is you can wait at the end and you can go and, you can go and get a photo you can go and say hello to the women's games so it's sort of that interactivity and like the, you can have that engagement that you just would never have had with with the men's football so i think it's a nicer safer environment to go and enjoy football I think the biggest gaps are amongst the grassroots level. There's a lot more boys playing football than girls across the UK and across the world. And I think that comes down to accessibility. I know from my experience, when I was younger, I had to, I had to travel quite a far distance in order to get to training just because there wasn't teams around my area. So I think that was uh, an issue. And I think more can be done in schools. I know the FA have set a, an opportunity where they're going to try and get equal football for everyone by 2026, whether you're a girl or a boy in school. I think that's a really big, really big push as well. In recent years, women's efforts in team sports have taken more of a center stage. On many occasions, the national teams for countries that hold football and rugby close to their hearts, the women's teams are outperforming their male counterparts. Well, it does not get any bigger than this, the World Cup final. That's what they're playing for. For the fourth time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world. Back to that, New Zealand Blackburns, 2018 Rugby World Cup champions. The dead ball on one, misses it, and England have the lead. That is the fastest goal of the tournament. What a start for Even after all these achievements, there's still a gap. Unconscious bias exists not just on a gender level, but also racial and opportunity level. We actively have to work to create better environments for our teammates to flourish, so that everyone can have a shot at something bigger, even if their approach is different than ours. 
we just started taking everything in our stride, like, oh, another game, oh, we've won, oh, that looks good. And we never really kind of imagined where it was going to take us. I think because we were kind of in this safety bubble of we're new, there's no expectation, people don't really like us. So we're just going to keep our heads down and, and move on as we go. And then suddenly we find ourselves in a semi-final. So we suddenly worked our way up the table, we're into the top four, and now we're in a semi-final against um, Litchfield, one of the, at the time, really, really strong club. And then we won. And then all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, we're onto something here. Like, this group is really special because of all the differences, because everybody underestimates us and because everybody thinks we should, they should beat us. It was almost like we had this mentality of why should you beat us and why should we under just because we're new and we're just into the team so that was a really big pivotal moment and and then guess who we're facing in the final it's Bristol um so as you can imagine everyone's kind of like oh god here we go again they've been the strongest force all year the best Bristol has ever performed got some brilliant names but yeah we found ourselves in a final and I remember us all kind of being in the meeting room beforehand and, and the coaches going, looking at us going, who would have thought we'd got here? And it definitely didn't come down to just our ability on the pitch. We had some really, really key and important people in the team. Our changing room was in the bar. I'm not sure why. But anyway, so we were getting changed in this bar, so we didn't have a proper changing room. Um, we had like chairs were all set up in like a meeting format. So we changed all that. We put it into a circle. Not consciously, so subconsciously, we just put everything into a circle and we're all like facing in on each other. And I just remember like the team talk before we went out, um, just and it was, and all I focused on was anything that we do out there is about us, it's about the people that is in this circle right now. Doesn't matter what anybody says outside this circle, all that matters is what we do for each other and how we finished our league, our season together as this group. And we just kind of had this like, no, nobody was bigger than the team. And there was just this sense of, like, we got this. It's that underestimation that can result in team members being pigeonholed and set aside. Once you're in that spot, it's hard to climb out. So to help us uncover where things break down and how to fix them, I spoke to Janet to help guide us in the right direction and lay out some action steps for championing even the most quiet voices in our teams. My name is Janet Pope. I am the North America Corporate Social Responsibility Director for Capgemini. The most common missteps are, are really around um, assuming that diversity and inclusion and equity are just leadership issues and not necessarily as individuals, regardless of our level, regardless of our role, understanding how we can support having inclusive workplaces. I think the, the challenge is um, typically we're so nervous or fearful of saying the wrong thing in a, in a lot of contexts that we don't do anything. And that's the worst thing we can do, right? So it's understanding that to to progress diversity and inclusion, we have to come from a place of vulnerability. We have to be enabled to tell our own story. Um, by me sharing, I've now opened it up for my team to feel like they can also share. I think just trying and making it clear, hey, I'm not going to always say the right thing here. Help me out. Just 
making the attempt and I think being honest, being vulnerable, having some emotional intelligence is is where we all can make progress on this, right? Building a more inclusive team is one thing, but holding leadership to account is quite a different problem to solve. This is tricky, right? And I think I always lean towards data in conversations with leaders, which depending on what you're trying to address can be tricky. It can be fairly straightforward to show a leader, you know, I I know conversations I've had with, with different business leaders where we've really looked at, we'll pick on gender diversity for a second, but we've really looked at like how many women have you hired over the last couple of years? And it can be eye-opening because you recognize, hey, I'm not trending in the right direction on this. Even though I'm saying it's important, I'm saying I'm committed to it, the data sort of proves that we're not moving in the right direction on this topic. And so anytime you can be empowered by data, I think that takes the defense out of the conversation. Data can be a really important tool. Um, to support helping leaders move in the right direction. Now, if you're a team member, right, you won't necessarily have access to that confidential data, but you could do something like, hey, it seems like the last three people to get a great role assignment all are men or all went to Yale or all happened to play basketball with you after work. What am I doing wrong? Because I would love to get a nice stretch role or opportunity, right? So it's it's a it's tricky, but I still think you can use data to support having a good dialogue. One of the first things that you need to get your head around in a work setting is unconscious bias. You'd be surprised how much it affects your decision making. People have bias. We've come up with different strategies for how to help people mitigate bias. We even have Project Implicit, great tests that you can take to understand and identify your own bias. And now the challenge is, how do we make sure that teams of developers aren't putting bias into algorithms that they don't want to have the bias in, right? In some cases, maybe you want to program, you know, some machine learning that is doing a specific thing. Um, But many cases, like the example with facial recognition software, the intention was not to um, program it in a way or create algorithms in a way that wasn't so great at recognizing the faces of women and people of color. And there are a number of reasons that that happened, right? It wasn't necessarily tested on enough women and people of color. Um, There are speculations based on what we typically see in developer demographics that maybe enough women and people of color weren't on the teams developing the solutions. But it's basically debunked the myth of technology is unbiased because we've recognized we're programming our bias into technology. And you see this in subtle ways, like the fact that when you think about IBM Watson, a huge pr- uh, platform and you know data analytics tool versus Siri and Alexa, right? Watson is a male name. Siri and Alexa are more female names and they're personal assistants. Well, why is that, right? So that's a very subtle type of way that bias has crept into you know even how we market or or, or brand or name our products, all the way to something that was a little um, 
a little less intentional, but but had a, a huge effect when facial recognition software was released and we found these these huge holes. Inclusivity and diversification are not something you cover in a couple of hours worth of training sessions. It's an ongoing effort that more times than not, when you create balanced opportunities for everyone, provides results that otherwise wouldn't be possible. And Rachel Burford, who else but the Elsa Bulls captain, kicks the ball out to touch. And the Premiership winners of 2017 are the Aylesford Bulls. We didn't go into that as the favourites, but the way that we gelled as a team was just, it was it was so special. Um, and it was because, you know, everybody as an individual just did what they needed to do. They didn't try and be anybody else. They didn't try and be a superstar. They didn't try and, um, you know, be the star of the team. They just did what they needed to do in their role, in their position. And that is genuinely why that, like we didn't have like an amazing performance and no one really stood out, but you don't need that to win games. You just need everybody to do their job. And I just remember like, that was our focus. It was about us. We had our arms around each other. We were all looking at each other and it was just, this is our circle. This is about what we're gonna go and do. Not about anything else, anywhere else. Next 80 minutes is all about us wasn't perfect but it was the way that we went about everything it was you know the chins up the looks at each other the support for one another the tap on the back the the confidence and the enjoyment and excitement when you did something well the way that we were like celebrating that the fact you know that we had players on that team that people don't expect to play very well or do do extraordinary things and they did that it was one of the, the best feelings we also won the cup that year as well so it was almost like from being like absolutely beaten by a team to then going up and down throughout the season, but just, you know, staying focused on us then led us to double victory in our first season. It was just, it was unbelievable. Well done to Ellsford. As we record this show in the midst of a global pandemic and a major spotlight on societal issues, the need for diversification in thought has never been so important. Finding opportunities to educate and highlight around systemic issues can be hard, but there's somewhere where activism and community go hand in hand. The sports pitch. Sport, unlike any other platform, reaches a wide range of people that others can't. This is Rory Burgess from Capgemini. The way I think of sport is it is a very um, open, engaging and public platform on which to make statements. So it's always going to be a place where those statements come to the fore. It is a safer environment, but I think also, as we've seen in the past, it can be politicized if people choose to make it political. But I also think it's a great place to allow people to make the choices they want to make for how they want to represent those causes. And for me, that's the most important part of it. Um, the most important part is people being able to stand together in a relatively safe environment, in a very public environment and make a point. And, and I think what I'm also seeing is a trend where sports and sporting bodies themselves, by dint of the fact that they are allowing their players and their fans to make their statement in their way, are providing a much safer place than perhaps previously was allowed. And they're giving that little bit of air cover that means that politicising it is becoming harder. And I think that's a really welcome trend. Next episode on the show, 
We will be bringing both sides of our story together, where sports meets technology. We'll be looking at emerging tech in sport, how the pandemic brought the industry to its knees, and why now more than ever innovation is critical to how sport moves forward to promote opportunity both on and off the pitch. This has been Designing Momentum, a podcast from Capgemini. A big thank you to all our guests this episode. Gemma Godfrey, Grace Vella of Miss Kick, Rachel Burford, Janet Pope, and Rory Burgess of Capgemini. You can find out more about the work they do and how to contact them at capgemini.com momentum. Designing Momentum is produced by Joe Morris and Greg Newsma. The show is written and produced for Capgemini by Adrift Entertainment. And it's hosted by me, Frank Wammers. See you next time.